Super Bowl Sunday is slowly creeping on the horizon. I'll have my viewpoint of the game, matchups, and who will be champion when it's all said and done. Plus, the Hall of Fame class has been announced, so you know I'll have some fun with that. LeBron James is on the top of the all-time scoring mountain. Has his career been the most complete in the sports history? The NBA trade deadline is coming on, with the biggest one of all being Kevin Durant going to Phoenix. Why I'm disappointed in him and how that'll potentially affect his legacy down the road. The Rangers make a splash, bring in a former Stanley Cup winning goal scorer as the NHL season resumes. It'll be another wild hour through the sports landscape, through the mind and voice of yours truly. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, here on a rare Friday to kick off a huge sports weekend, or whenever you may be listening to this, as you've come to the right place to get your fix on all that the sports world has to offer, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And after a day that I needed to attend some personal business, I had to postpone my Thursday pod, so you got me now as we count down the final few days, hours, minutes, and even seconds to Sunday, 6.35 p.m. Eastern in Glendale, Arizona, as Super Bowl 57 will finally get here, and I don't know if it's me, Or maybe it isn't, but has this been the longest 12 days known to mankind when it comes to waiting for this game? I feel like that the end of the AFC Championship game was two months ago when the Bengals and Chiefs went at it to where Harrison Butker, the game-winning kick at the final buzzer somewhere around 10 p.m. 12 days ago, and now we're still a couple of days away, or of course, whenever you're listening to this, for all I know, you may be listening to this, on your way to a Super Bowl party. But with that being said, it sure feels like it's been forever just to get to this point and knowing that we still have another couple of days before we get to kickoff where the Eagles and Chiefs will hammer it out to see who will become the Super Bowl champ, who will be the last team standing, 
who will raise the trophy well above their shoulders and finally put to bed an NFL season as we talked about on Monday that has been, I'll just say so-so. I'll be kind in that regard. But for all the buildup and the excitement heading into this game, to me, I don't think there's been that much. And when you have two number one seeds, by far the best teams in the sport throughout the course of the year, you would think that this would have such a culmination, such a gathering of all these different storylines of the potential that the one seeds have to offer where it's a clash of the Titans. The last time we saw two number one seeds, the Eagles were in this position when they faced off against the New England Patriots back in the 2017 or Super Bowl 52. And for whatever the reason, I can't seem to muster up enough energy, passion, fire, as I like to call it, to really get into this game full bore. And I don't know if it's because everybody thinks that the Eagles are going to win as they're the most complete team heading into this matchup. And it's just odd that there's not a lot of anticipation or even juice for me. Now, I don't know, maybe for other NFL fans or sports fans that are looking forward just to getting together with family, friends, etc. to watch this game and to know that the Eagles, who have been on this trajectory pretty much since day one of the NFL season, being that dominant team, And the Chiefs, although losing to Cincinnati and Buffalo throughout the regular season, but being on top, I understand you didn't have that matchup with the Bengals and Bills there January 2nd to see where the records would have lied. Because remember, if Buffalo would have beaten Cincinnati in that game, they would have had the one seed. And who knows if Kansas City's even in this game. But everybody knows that the Chiefs are formidable, that they're a team that has been down this road before, as we've seen. And maybe that's another factor as I head into the matchup here with these two teams, because how I look at it, the Chiefs have been down this road now three of the last four years, and the Eagles, I understand it's five years removed from that title, but you do have seven starters who played in the game and have that experience. I understand you do not have Doug Peterson there. I understand there's no Nick Foles. You have Nick Sirianni. You have Jalen Hurts, and two guys that are trying to navigate through their week, I'm sure, when it comes to publicity when it comes to just trying to practice the distractions from family friends tickets all the pomp and circumstance leading up into this game where Andy Reid Patrick Mahomes they've been to this circus this carnival now three times and even with all that we understand experience does lie more in favor of the Chiefs but we all know experience doesn't mean anything once the ball is kicked off and after the butterflies and all of the Eyeballs that are just tuned into Glendale and watching this game from afar, knowing that all the pressure, all the hype, everything building up to this game, that once you get a couple of snaps and a couple of hits in, it may seem like a regular football game. But as we all know, this game is an event, it's a spectacle, it's something that we have come to know and love as an unofficial holiday, but at the same time, This isn't just your normal 1 o'clock game on a Sunday in October and November. And that's where it lies with the experience and you wonder with the coach and quarterback of each of these two teams, Chiefs being here several times and knowing what it takes, Eagles first time around and wondering if it's going to be a scenario where it's going to engulf them that may even implode them when it comes kickoff at 635. But when we... Break down the keys to the game, and I'll get to that now. 
To me, I think it boils down to three things. And I get it, we could talk about all these different matchups. Who's going to win in the trenches? As we all know, you could say that for pretty much any NFL game, let alone the Super Bowl. And we could talk about how A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are going to match up against those weak corners for the Chiefs or even the pass rush of the Eagles, which is going to be one factor that I'll get to against the Chief offensive line, knowing that Patrick Mahomes still has that gimpy ankle. And even though, despite all the reports that he looks good, he's feeling fine, etc. But again, all it takes is a couple of hits or him having to run out of the pocket four or five times for that ankle to start barking. Because as I've said before, and I've said it a thousand times, high ankle sprains never heal within weeks. Sometimes it takes months. And I'm sure all the painkillers in the world or all the cortisone shots, etc. is still not going to be able to manage an ankle that's going to be put to the test with that pass rush and with the pressure that the Eagles are going to apply on the newly minted regular season MVP, and I'll get to that in a minute. So I'll start there because that pass rush, it's not even going to be a situation with the Eagles, whether your name is Hassan Reddick, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. We go down the list of all the guys that have gotten double-digit sacks on that team, 75 sacks throughout the course of the year. But more so the pass rush versus Andy Reid. Because this is a movie that we've seen before and you only have to go back two years to Super Bowl 55 in Tampa where Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. The offensive line, we understand that it was Swiss cheese then and it got worse throughout the course of the game where Mahomes was literally running for his life. And we saw the outcome of that game where Tampa went going away 31-9. Mahomes was not a factor. You can forget about what Tyreek Hill did then or even Travis Kelsey. Didn't really matter. Because Mahomes was flushed out of the pocket, seemed like snap in, snap out, and Andy Reid had literally zero answers to even slow down the Tampa Bay pass rush. And when you think about it, why didn't he in the second half of that game, or even in the second quarter, go max protect? I understand he doesn't have big-time fullbacks, he doesn't have big-time blockers. We get it that Travis Kelsey is more known as a pass catcher. And is such an integral part of that offense that he's not going to stay behind to protect Mahomes. But you have to wonder if Reed is going to look at this game and if it starts to get away, especially if Mahomes is going to be pressured, if he's going to be knocked down, if he's going to take hits, and even more importantly, take sacks. Is he going to have a game plan to thwart whatever the Eagles are going to throw at him And not have a repeat of what we saw two years ago. Because if that's the case, this is going to be a game that the Eagles are going to win going away. And we haven't even talked about the offensive side of the ball as far as what the Eagles do. And I'll get to that in a second. But to me, that is going to be the first thing that I'm going to look at here in the Super Bowl based on Mahomes' ankle and based on what we saw two years ago. And people could say, well, Jay Reels, please, you're really going to base what happened two years ago in a Super Bowl game two years later in this game? Yeah. Because all you have to know with that pass rush that the Eagles have, and I already talked about all the guys that have gotten double-digit sacks on the team, and you know that they're going to apply big-time pressure, especially in third and long, when it comes to trying to attack the quarterback. And knowing that Andy Reid, he's been terrible with adjustments. We know about his clock management. And I'm not even going to talk about that. But as far as him making that adjustment and him learning as to what took place two years ago, that has to be at the forefront of his brain. 
Because if he expects that it's going to be pitch and catch all night between Mahomes and Juju Smith-Schuster and Kelsey and Isaiah Pacheco and Valdez Scantling, you're going to have another thing coming to you. Because unless that offensive line of the Chiefs is going to be a stone wall to where the Eagles are not going to lay a finger on Mahomes, then that's a whole different story. But that is going to be something we want to look at early on and even as the game progresses, especially if you get into the fourth quarter and the game is close, as the war in the trenches really starts to be that whole war of attrition between who's going to be able to make that play, who's going to be able to step up, is the offensive line going to start being porous? That is a huge factor in this game. And when I look at the Eagle offense, and more so the chief defense, and we know they have Chris Jones, Frank Clark, they do have a couple of good pass rushers, and I believe Chris Jones is an all-pro this year. But if I'm the Chiefs, and especially Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, I will do whatever it takes to keep Jalen Hurts in the pocket and let him beat me with his arm. And I understand You can look at the Eagle offensive line as dominant as they've been. Just think about this. If you take away the Giant game, that final game of the season, and to a certain extent even the New Orleans game, but when we look at good defenses, good pass rush, etc., the Cowboy game on Christmas Eve, as we all know, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, those are two big guys that obviously can rush the quarterback. Also, the game against San Francisco, and even the game against the Giants. I know they have the rookie, Kayvon Thibodeau. But there were no pressures, no hits, no sacks on Jalen Hurts. And you would think that there would be a little bit more of the same this time around with two weeks off. Lane Johnson, who knows with that groin. But still, even if he's going to be in the lineup, that will be an emotional lift for the team. And if... Jones, Clark, and any of the other linebackers and defensive linemen for the Chiefs, if they're unable to lay a finger on Jalen Hurts, that's going to be a problem. But with that being said, if they can apply some pressure up the middle and try to keep him in that pocket and let the Chiefs try to use his arm to beat him, whether it be over the middle, downfield, and we've seen throughout the year that Jalen Hurts can make plays and make big throws whether it's to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, the tight end, Dallas Goddard, understood. But once he gets out of that pocket, and even more so, how that defense is going to respond when it comes to the Eagle run game. Because if Miles Sanders is going to get off, as well as Jalen Hurts, put it this way, if Jalen Hurts has eight carries for 75 yards in a game, you would think that the Eagles are going to go running away. That's all there is to it. And as long as they're able to slow down that run game, and make Jalen Hurts beat him in the pocket, and understand that's asking a lot. Because that's two elements that you're going to try to have to slow down if you're the Chiefs. One more time, their running threat, and also Jalen Hurts out of the pocket. If they're able to do those two things with some sort of consistency, I think the Chiefs have a shot. Because Jalen Hurts, as we've seen throughout the course of the year, and I'm sure he's going to look at that MVP, that Patrick Mahomes, and you would think deservedly so, based on the numbers and what he did throughout the course of the regular season. But I'm sure Jalen Hurts, deep down inside in his chest, has to be thinking and feeling and maybe even using that as a little bit of motivation to know that, wow, I only got one MVP vote and Patrick Mahomes got the other 28. The other one went to Josh Allen. So out of all the votes, one went to 
Hurts. One went to Josh Allen as far as first place in the MVP voting race. And then every other vote went to Patrick Mahomes. I would think that he's going to use that as motivation to try to get him to a point where he's going to upstage and try to beat his counterpart there on the other side of the field. Now, the other thing that I would have to think that's going to be a key, more so for Kansas City, because we pretty much know what the keys are for the Eagles to win the game. If they're going to run the ball, rush the quarterback, and Hurts, combined with running and passing what he's done pretty much throughout the course of the entire regular season, if he's able to do that, the Eagles are going to win, I would think, by two touchdowns. And that's why a lot of people are picking the Eagles because they look at how complete their offensive line is, their pass rush, the year that Hurts has had, weapons on the outside. I mean, the team is pretty much has no weakness. And if you're the Chiefs, Andy Reid, who's going to be that guy that's going to step up on offense other than Travis Kelsey? And to me, that's huge. Is it going to be Juju Smith-Schuster that they brought in from Pittsburgh? Is it going to be the young rookie Isaiah Pacheco or even Sky Moore maybe in special teams when it comes to punt returns or even kickoff returns? Is it going to be Kadarius Tony, a guy that they brought in midseason from the Giants? Marquez Valdez-Scantling, a guy who had a very big AFC Championship game. Who's going to be that guy that steps up because they do not have a Tyreek Hill that's going to stretch the field one way and then have the center or the middle of the field open for Travis Kelsey. And as it is, Travis Kelsey is always open. But I would think that the Eagles, they're going to try to double team him as best as they possibly can and let the aforementioned guys try to beat them on the outside. I would think. And the Chiefs, despite the fact that they have the MVP of the league and despite the wizardry and the magic and even the heart of a one Patrick Mahomes, Is that going to be enough for him to gut out one more game to another Super Bowl victory for a guy that, as we all know, is talented and as brilliant as he is, but he just does not have the same weapons that he's had in years past? I understand it may be a little bit more balanced, a little bit more complete, but they do not have a big running game, as we know. They pretty much have to piecemeal that and hope that Mahomes is going to Save the day when it comes to his right arm and his elusiveness and even on that gimpy ankle trying to make plays whether it's out of the pocket or for his sake in the pocket. Those are the things that I'm looking at here when it comes to this Super Bowl because other than that, I can't really get into oh, what kind of schemes are the Eagles going to put forth defensively when it comes to Travis Kelsey. You know that Kelsey's going to get his catches, he's going to get his yards, whether that means he's going to get him early and often or maybe even late in the game where Kansas City's trailing and the Eagles are going to play a little soft on defense. More bend and don't break. The other contributions are going to be enormous. Who's going to be that guy that's going to step up on the Kansas City Chief offense that's going to make plays and extend drives and not only that, but also get in the end zone for the Chiefs to even stay in the game if everything goes to script on how Philadelphia has played throughout the course of the year. And when it comes to Mahomes, think about this, people. He's a regular season MVP. Second one now. And when we look at the past 10 years of regular season MVPs that have gone on to the Super Bowl, going back to 2013, when Peyton Manning had that record-setting year 
and the Broncos went to the Super Bowl and played the Seattle Seahawks. How did that turn out? Two years later, Cam Newton, what were they, 15-1, and breezed through the NFC playoffs, and they went up against a Denver defense where Von Miller was your Super Bowl MVP, and Cam Newton didn't die for a ball in a key part of the game. So how did that turn out for the former MVP? A year later, Matt Ryan, big-time year for the Falcons, an easy-peasy NFC playoff to where they had a 28-3 lead against the New England Patriots, and how did that turn out? A year later, Tom Brady, MVP to regular season, more records being set, loses to an Eagle team that's in the Super Bowl today. Whereas I mentioned seven players on that team went up against Tom Brady and the regular season MVP, and now those guys, whether your name is Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, etc., who faced... Tom Brady in that Super Bowl now going up against another regular season MVP and Patrick Mahomes. So will Mahomes now flip the script and be the one guy to win a regular season MVP and win a Super Bowl or maybe even in the process win a Super Bowl MVP? I understand why everyone's picking the Eagles. And based on that alone, that should tell you that maybe this is Kansas City's year. And knowing that two years ago they were embarrassed on the big stage, And knowing that maybe Andy Reid has learned from that, that if the game starts to get out of hand to where his quarterback is being pressured, that he's going to make those adjustments on the fly. But I don't know. Defense wins Super Bowls. I think the defense of the Eagles is better than the Chiefs. Not only their front seven, but their secondary as well. With Darius Slay and James Bradbury. Come on, Legarius Sneed. And Juan Thornhill. Your safety, the other corner, being Trent McDuffie. I'm not trying to say that these guys have to be all pros or Pro Bowl cornerbacks, but if you're going to look at the Eagle defense in comparison to the Chief defense, and we know the Chief defense, as I mentioned before, they have two guys there that can rush the quarterback and can wreck a game. But if for whatever the reason, the Eagle offense is going downhill at some point with their run game, and Jalen Hurts is going to have his way with that Chief defense, I don't see how the Kansas City Chiefs win this game. Because to me, the Eagles could win a 20-17 game. They could win a 35-31 game. I don't think the Chiefs could do that. And depending on the health of Patrick Mahomes, if he takes one good hit or if that ankle gets rolled on or what have you, then you can forget about it. Chad Henney's going to have to come in and America's going to be put to sleep. So as much as I want to pick Kansas City here and to think that there's some upset potential and... Crazy to say that because this is a team that was a one seed in 14-3. and three. But I'm going to pick the Eagles here. I'm going to say Eagles 30, Chiefs 26. A little bit of a weird score. I'm going to look at it that way. I think the Eagles, now provided, how Hurts is going to respond in this first quarter is going to be huge. If he's going to be some third and longs, and if he's going to be in the pocket, that's what I want to see. And even if the Chiefs have a lead, let's say they go up 14-3 and it's midway through the second quarter, how he's going to respond in that setting is going to be fascinating. So, I think it's going to be the Eagles. I think they're going to win their second title in five years. And the Chiefs, can they win the game? Absolutely. And would I be shocked if they win the game? Absolutely not. But everything seems to be trending with the Eagles and I understand when one team gets picked by just about everybody in America... I'm sure Kansas City is going to use that and say, oh, you forgot about us? 
But for everything that I just mentioned here in the first 20 minutes or so, not that it's impossible for the Chiefs to win, but it's going to be a tall order. Even with the experience from Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs being there three times in the last four years, I just think it's going to be a tough task. Of course, we'll be back here on Monday to recap it all, even get into the commercials, which have been lackluster to say the least over the years, not as exciting as it once was back in the day, whether it was Bud Light, Doritos, some of the other big-time major corporations that usually put out great Super Bowl ads. Also, Rihanna, the halftime, I'm sure a legion of her fans are looking forward to her performance, considering that she hasn't even put out music in the past God knows how many years, and not that I'm a big Rihanna fan, but I know that that's going to be a spectacle, considering that she has not been part of the pop music scene in quite some time. So we will certainly... Take a look at all that will have transpired here over the Super Bowl weekend as we put to bed this NFL season. And then last night you had the class of 2023 Hall of Fame enshrinement in Canton this coming summer where your finalists are now official as to who will have their busts displayed in Canton. And there are a few locks that I thought going into this, whether your name was Darrell Rivas, even Joe Thomas, of the Cleveland Browns and Revis, of course, the former Jet also won a Super Bowl in New England, played in Tampa, went back to the Jets, etc., played for the Chiefs for a hot minute. You also have another corner that went in, and this was very defense-oriented here for the Hall to put a lot of defensive players in there, some that have waited a long time to get in. I can't recall a time that you had so many defensive players get into the Hall of Fame at the same time. But not only did you have Revis, you also had Rondé Barber, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, cornerback, Zach Thomas, the middle linebacker of the Miami Dolphins going back to the 2000s, even late 90s for that matter, DeMarcus Ware, the longtime Cowboy, Denver Bronco, Joe Klecko, the former Jet, Chuck Howley, Super Bowl MVP, the only one to win an MVP as a member of a losing team, Dallas Cowboys, and even Ken Riley. Cincinnati Bengal, longtime Bengal, who passed away in 2020, tied for fifth all-time in interceptions with Charles Woodson, 65, as he makes it into the Hall of Fame. And whether or not these players are deserving, we know Revis is, Revis Island, and I get it that he only had, what, 28, 29 interceptions in his career, but he was a guy that was locked down, nobody threw to his side, the... Typical corner a la Deion Sanders, not to compare him to Deion by any stretch, but when you had many games that balls weren't being thrown to his side of the field is a testament to how great of a player that he was. And even though he doesn't have the big time numbers when it comes to interceptions, the Rod Woodson's of the world, that cornerback, Charles Woodson who had 65, even Ken Riley now going into Hall of Fame at 65, Night Train Lane, Guys like that who had astronomical numbers and is on the all-time ranks for interceptions in the sport. But for Revis, it was all about what he did to pretty much lock down his side of the field, not make the top receiver on the opposing team be a factor in the game at all. And when you have a guy like that, and for him to be a full-time all-pro, where when we think of all-pros, you think of longevity, you think of a guy that's done it six, seven, eight times, but Revis, four times is a lot, 
But because of the plays that he didn't make and how much of a factor that he was for offensive coordinators, that's why he's a Hall of Famer. And Joe Thomas was an eight-time All-Pro left tackle for the Browns, even though he played on bad teams. But when you're an eight-time All-Pro in anything, you're a lock for the Hall of Fame. Rondé Barber, a guy who had a lot of interceptions and big interceptions and big games. The last one at the old Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, if you remember in that NFC Championship game, which punctuated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the Super Bowl in which they won against the Oakland Raiders that year. But Barber's a guy that, I won't say borderline, but you could say he's debatable. And you know me, I'm a hard marker when it comes to this. I'm a small guy or a small room Hall of Fame. You have to be dominant, you have to be elite, as I talked about even weeks ago with the Baseball Hall of Fame and Scott Rowland. And Rondé, he's in the discussion. Is he a slam dunk automatic? I can't say he is. And that goes for Zach Thomas. And he's a guy that was a five-time all-pro player. Middle linebacker. Tackling machine. But was he a dominant player? And yes, I understand. His position, you got to make tackles. But you also have to make splash plays too. Whether that means interceptions, whether that means forced fumbles, whether that means fumble recoveries, and even equating to touchdowns. But where was Zach Thomas' big moment and I get it, he didn't really play on big-time Dolphin teams. But where was his moment in the NFL that makes you say, ah, yeah, that guy's a Hall of Famer. And when you think of middle linebackers, when you think of Dick Buckus, when you think of Mike Singletary, when you think of Ray Lewis, and maybe even, to a certain extent, he was only a four-time All-Pro in a one Brian Urlacher. Is he even in the same sentence with those guys? Definitely not the first three. Because Ray Lewis was a seven-time first-team All-Pro. And arguably, probably the greatest middle linebacker of all time. So I get it. That's lofty company. But guess what? The Hall of Fame is made for lofty company. Is Zach Thomas in that discussion? I can't say he is. But God bless him. Good for him. He made it into the Hall of Fame. DeMarcus Ware, when you have 139 sacks in your career, and he also has about four or five first-team All-Pros, you're going to get in. I think the 100 sack mark in the NFL is the barometer, kind of like the 500 home run plateau in baseball or the 300 win total that it once was in baseball as well. I think when you get 100 sacks as a linebacker, whether you're outside or defensive lineman, that is the bar. And when you have 137 of those, or 139 that DeMarcus Ware did, and he did win a Super Bowl on top of that, then he's going to be an automatic Right, does he compare to some of the great pass rushing specialists of all time when it comes to defensive ends? Is he Reggie White? Is he Bruce Smith? And a guy that's going in next year in roller skates, you would think, is Julius Peppers. And he has 157 sacks of all time. So, you know he's going in. And where with what he's done, he's going to go in as a slam dunk. Now, the Veterans Committee... Bring in Joe Klecko, who was a Defensive Player of the Year, 1981. 20 and a half sacks at that time was an NFL record. And he did make three Pro Bowl teams at three different positions, which is no big deal when you think about it. I guess back then it was. But when we think of the Pro Bowl today, especially now with flag football, it doesn't have the same buzz or the same meaning that it did back then. But Klecko was a dominant defensive player. And I understand he had suffered a knee injury there in the middle portion of his career. 
and doesn't have a lot of accolades when it comes to being multiple all-pro teams or being a guy that was, yes, dominant for a short period of time and doesn't really have the longevity. Ask Mark Gastineau, and I understand Gastineau, a lot of people were looking at him as a clown and was a sideshow with the dance and all that, but I'm sure he's going to look at Joe Klecko as the reason why he got all those sacks and held the sack record for so long until Michael Strahan broke it back in the early 2000s. But some of the things that I've read, whether you're Anthony Munoz, arguably the best left tackle of all time, Joe DeLamalure, a Hall of Fame guard for the Buffalo Bills, ask those guys what it was like to go up against Joe Klecko. And if they have nothing but glowing things to say, and a guy that was in the trenches and battled in the 70s and early 80s against those Hall of Fame players, and if they're going to say that, yes, this guy's deserving of it, then guess what? I understand the NFL's a fraternity, but if those guys are going to say he's deserving, then you got to take their word for it. And Klecko was that guy. Don Coriel, Air Coriel, for what he did with the Chargers and even with the Cardinals before that. And I get it, he never won a Super Bowl, but his offense and being able to stretch the field, the Dan Fouts, Kellen Winslow, Wes Chandler, Chuck Muncie, maybe was long overdue, but he is now a coach that's going to be enshrined in Canton as well. Ken Riley, I just talked about. And... That's your class here, and that's a big one. A lot of defensive players, I can't recall so many defensive players going into the hall at the same time, but those guys are going to have their day, and congratulations to them, whether or not I debate or even argue whether or not they should be Hall of Famers. That's another story, and I get it. Maybe I'm throwing a little bit of cold water, but you know me. When it comes to the Hall of Fame, it's all or nothing, it seems. And as I mentioned, Julius Peppers is a guy who's going to be on the ballot first time next year, and you would think, if DeMarcus Ware and some of these other guys are getting in and Julius Peppers is going in as if he's strolling on a beach somewhere. And then a couple other news and notes before I pivot. A.J. Green, the longtime Bengal receiver and ended his career in Arizona, retires after 11 seasons. Very good wide receiver. Excellent wide receiver at that. University of Georgia had some Pro Bowl seasons with the Bengals before the final three years of his career in Arizona. So he goes off into the sunset. So congratulations to him on a very good career. Also, Tom Brady, we don't have to worry about him infiltrating the booth come Sunday with Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson to be a part of the Fox broadcast that the Super Bowl is going to be on. He's going to wait a year. 2024 is going to be his year and good for him. And the reason why I say that is because not only is he taking a much needed and much deserved year off from football, but I'm sure it's going to give him some time to get himself together, to be that analyst, to be that guy that everybody's going to tune in those first few weeks or especially that first year to see how Brady's going to perform, whether it is with Kevin Burkhardt or if they go in another direction, who knows. But for him to take a year off and to give Greg Olson another year with Burkhardt, obviously they've been very good here throughout the course of the playoffs. And I haven't really talked about the broadcasting in the postseason, and it's going to be interesting to see how they perform here on this big stage in their first ever Super Bowl together. So I will also critique that when we get to Monday's pod, but Brady taking that year off is going to join Fox in 2024, so you don't have to worry or even hear from him. Who knows if you may even see him in a segment on the Super Bowl coverage, the pregame, which is probably going to be, what, from 6 in the morning till kickoff? But I don't know if Brady's going to make an appearance there. Remains to be seen. 
But that's what we have there with the NFL as we move forward. And as I put on my high tops, and I know this may take a while, and I want to try to do this in under an hour, people. And right now, we're probably a little bit more than a half hour in. But to start off with LeBron James, what more can be said about him that hasn't already been said? And I'm going to say this very blunt. I understand that there's a lot of people that do not like LeBron James, whether it's the all-time GOAT discussion, and you have a lot of the people that love Jordan, and rightfully so, and even in my book, he's still number one all-time as far as the greatest, based on not only just his accomplishments, but being able to watch him and having the pleasure to watch Jordan pretty much from day one of his NBA career until the very end. Even with those two years in Washington, we got to count those, but we're talking about Jordan as far as him being in the Bulls and that eight-year stretch to where a year and a half he took off of baseball, but winning the three-peats back-to-back, sandwiching that time off that he took to play minor league baseball with the White Sox. But everybody wants to shit on LeBron when it comes to just basketball circles. And then there's others that want to do the same when it comes to whatever his political views are or getting on his soapbox to talk about current issues or current affairs of what's going on here in the country. And he has a right, he has a platform, whether you agree or disagree. And to me, I could take it or leave it. Because I've never been one to really go crazy or go gaga over what athletes have to say unless you go in that direction, whether your name is a Colin Kaepernick and not to get into his career and what happened there, but we saw what the effect and the toll that it took on his career when he went in that direction. And we could talk about players in the past, whether your name is Muhammad Ali, whether your name is Bill Russell, where the Netflix documentary just came out two days ago and I definitely plan on seeing that and maybe even review it as we get past the Super Bowl and get into more NBA as time goes on but unless you're a guy or a person of that ilk where you have your hands in both that you're an athlete but at the same time you also want to see and affect change that's going on in a community in a region or in a country and I get it with LeBron James there's a lot of haters out there but me I just look at what he does on the court and you cannot hate What he's done. Yes, I understand the flops over the years. That becomes annoying. And him showing up small and a lot of big games in the early portion, or more so in the middle part of his career. But now that he's eclipsed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time scoring record as we saw there Tuesday night against the Oklahoma City Thunder late in the third quarter with that step-back fall away. And the only thing I could say about LeBron and him being the all-time scoring leader is a testament to a guy that when you think about scoring in the NBA, he's not at the top of the list. When you think of scoring, of course, you're going to think of Kareem, you're going to think of Jordan, you're going to think of Kobe, maybe even Karl Malone for that matter, all those assists from John Stockton in his days at Utah. Will Chamberlain, if you're going to go way back, considering he averaged 50 points a game, one year, scored 100 points, in a game back in 1962 where the anniversary is going to be a few weeks from now, 61 years. When you think of scoring, those are the guys you think of. Even Kevin Durant now, which obviously I'm going to get to in a minute, you don't think of LeBron as a scorer. You think of him as a facilitator. You think of him as a passer, rebounder. Of course he can score, but he's not that guy that has the assassin DNA. He's not the guy that's going to run off 15 straight points, although we did see him do that in a playoff game against the Pistons where he reeled off, what, 25 straight points in the fourth quarter and overtime to win a game five in Detroit. 
And for all of the accolades and the offensive prowess that he has, scoring doesn't seem to be at the top when you think of LeBron James. And when you think about his career overall, here he is at 38 years of age, still averaging 27 points, whatever it is, seven rebounds, seven assists. When we think about his career overall, and a lot of people looked at Kareem's career as being the most complete, considering he played, what was it, 19 years or 20 years, and he had 19 All-Star games, the six MVPs, the six rings. Kareem did anything you could ever imagine on a basketball court, coming out of Power Memorial here in Manhattan, going to UCLA, winning those titles there, going into the NBA, being a factor, not only on a Buck team winning a title, but then also going to LA and doing what he did there. But now he has to be pushed aside, not only on the all-time scoring list, but also as a complete career. Because for LeBron James to be dominant at this year, at this stage of his career, in Kareem's last year, he averaged 10 points a game. And I understand he was a center, and I get it that his game, despite the fact that he had that sky hook and was dominant in his own right, but when you have all those miles on his legs, and we get it, the nutrition, the travel, it's light years today than what, than, than what it was back then. But still, Kareem in his final game, or his final year, not only did he average 10 points a game, but if you remember in the forum, I believe late April 1989, they brought out the rocking chair for him. Is anybody going to bring out a rocking chair for LeBron when his time is up or where he's going to say farewell to the NBA, whether it be at age 40, 41, 42? Who knows? But that just goes to show you the type of career he's had from the time he's come out of high school into the NBA to where he is now. And the crazy thing is, is that people are going to remember LeBron, and this isn't the discussion to go back in the history books as far as what he's done, his legacy, etc. But I will say this, when you think about his career, the one thing that sticks out is that block on Andre Iguodala in Game 7 of the NBA Finals, which pretty much not only saved the Cavs' bacon at that time, but also Kyrie hitting that shot, winning the title, down three games to one, etc. People are going to remember him for that, more so for than any basket that he's made in the NBA, even the one that he made to break the all-time scoring record. That just goes to show you how great he is. And again, I am not a huge LeBron fan. My son is. And maybe I'm going to have him on the podcast to discuss that because he's one that has loved LeBron since day one. And not only that, but for him to still have probably another year or two left, it's not really the time to encapsulate his entire career. But when it comes to complete career and him breaking the record and being as dominant as he is right now, how could you not say he's had the best career in NBA history? That doesn't mean he's won the most, as we know. That doesn't mean he's the best player of all time. I get it. There's going to be a lot of debate, especially with the younger LeBron fan or the younger NBA fan that's going to think LeBron is the all-time great or the GOAT compared to Jordan because they've never seen Jordan play. But when you look at Jordan and what he's done, and I understand one more time, it's a debate for another day. Now I'm just digressing here. I got need to just go on to the trade deadline. But LeBron, congratulations. Again, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan. I am a supporter of him. I admire what he's done and how could you not? If you're a sports fan and a real true sports fan, no matter how much you do not like him, off the court stuff, attitude, whatever, what he's done on the court has been second to none. 
Now let's get to the trade deadline because there is a lot to unpack here and I'm going to try to keep this tidy. There isn't much that's going on in the world of sports. College basketball, status quo, even with Purdue losing to Indiana the other day, I thought they'd be knocked off from being number one in the country, but they're still there and not much has happened since then. So in hockey, I'm going to get to a couple of things there at the back end of the podcast. But the trade deadline, which started in earnest with the trade request by Kyrie Irving, and I'm going to get to him in a second. I get it that people are probably Kyrie'd out with everything that he said here, but I cannot, I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss what he said in the press conference when he was first introduced as a Maverick. But we all know that the trade deadline, which came and went there yesterday at 3 p.m., when you woke up yesterday morning to find out that Kevin Durant had been traded to Phoenix for a boatload of number one picks, as well as getting back Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, and all those picks from 23, 25, 27, and 29, and a pick swap in 28. For the Brooklyn Net fan, I know you got to be sick to your stomach. I'm sure once Kyrie left, you were hoping that KD would stay. And now that he is out west... With the Suns, and even though you bring back Spencer Dinwiddie in that trade, which was a familiar face and one that I'm sure you're going to root for big time, and you probably did root for if you're a Net fan when he was here. And a Brooklyn team that is actually in the middle of the pack there in the Eastern Conference, so who knows? Not to say they're going to go to an NBA title, but I'm sure there could be some buzz for this team to kind of be that little engine that could with Irving out and with Durant in Phoenix. But as far as this trade goes, this was one that came to me in any way, shape, or form, not a surprise at all. If anything, it brought a lot of disappointment. Not a surprise because there were talks about KD and the front office to see what the direction of the team was going to go. You heard about that report. I believe it was Tuesday night into Wednesday. And then you had a scenario where with Irving being introduced in Dallas talking about how he didn't want to get into that he wanted to talk about his current situation and one more time I'll get to Kyrie in a second but you just kind of felt that KD was not going to come back to the Nets that he wanted elsewhere that he wanted to get a shot to win a title and here's where I'm disappointed in him I understand that you hit your wagon to Kyrie here there's no other way to put it I hope it gets brought out in the coming days and weeks that that was the case to what were those discussions between he and Kyrie after the trade or even before maybe did they have a talk where Kyrie went to KD and said I want out I'm going to ask for a trade I don't know what you want to do blah 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 etc but for Durant just to take the easy way out and to get the soft landing in Phoenix and not try to stick it out where he still owed three years and $153 million on the contract he signed a summer ago. And for him to not stick it out. Now, I don't know what was discussed there between Joe Sy, Sean Marks, and the team that represents Kevin Durant. But I'm sure Durant said, uh-uh, I don't want any part of this, I want out. And how I looked at it was that if he would have stayed And let's say they would have won a championship. Maybe not this year, but as they try to build a team to get those pieces for next year and maybe even the year after, again, three more years. That if he was able to secure one championship throughout that time frame, and I understand Brooklyn, it's not 
Madison Square Garden. It's not the Knicks. They don't have the same type of buzz. Maybe nationally they did, but not locally. But let's say if he did win a title, his legacy would have been exponentially greater. And we all know he's an all-time great scoring champ, seven foot, the range. We know all of it. But if he goes to Phoenix and let's say wins the title, whether it be this year, and I don't think they're going to win it this year, and I'll explain it in a minute, but whether it be in the next few years, if they do win a title, they're going to look at that and say, oh yeah, easy for him because he parachuted into Phoenix with an already made team, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, an aging Chris Paul, but Paul is also looking for the Holy Grail to get his first ring and bringing in Durant. Now, you will look at Phoenix as being a favorite to come out of the West, arguably, to go to an NBA final. And if Durant would have stayed and let's say won a title, not only would he have gotten much respect from the NBA fan or sports fan because we know what he did when he left Oklahoma City to go to Golden State and not to go down that avenue again. On top of that, with Steph Curry winning a title last year without Kevin Durant, you would think that Durant won his own team to be, let me see if I can win here knowing that I put all my chips in the middle of the table, and if the Nets are going to do what they said, then let's go for it. Not the case. And even though I'm suspect about the net ownership, and I'll touch on that in a second, but for Durant just to go to Phoenix, a nice, cushy, just soft landing for him, and I like Durant. I got no ill will toward him by any stretch, even when he went to Golden State, although I was a little bit perturbed by it, but... At the end of the day, I said, ah, you know, whatever. He's a free agent. He can do whatever he wants. But the NBA player empowerment strikes and rules again. And this is a case of that. This is the NBA, not only in 2022, 2023, but this is the NBA in the past decade where these players just have so much power and so much pull that, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm out. I'm gone. See ya. Now, quickly with Kyrie, I get it that he has some things to get off his chest where he felt very disrespected by the net organization. They weren't transparent. They weren't honest. And who knows? Maybe Kevin Durant feels the same way and hopefully in the days and weeks to come, we'll, that'll come to the surface. But we understand we can't trust Kyrie as far as we could throw him. And for him to say that was just preposterous. On top of that, for him to come out and say, that I left this team in fourth place? What? As, well, like, that's a good thing? And then on top of that, to say that he was incredibly selfless in his approach to leading the team? Are we supposed to buy that, Kyrie? Seriously? Do you just have delusions of grandeur? Because that makes absolutely zero sense. And if you want to talk about leading, we saw what happened there in Boston when he was trying to lead that young core, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, how did that turn out? And now here you're on Brooklyn as quote-unquote one of the leaders and try to do what he could to lead that team on top of being incredibly selfless? Seriously? So right then and there, you take what is printed in the newspaper or online and you just click on that X or you just throw the paper in the garbage. Because that is just flat out laughable. But I will say this. You do have to wonder about the net organization because 
Joseph Tsai, who has his own issues off the court and the things that he supports, which I won't get into great detail because, again, I want to keep this around an hour and the clock is ticking. Sean Marks, I trust because look at what he built with Kenny Atkinson leading to KD and Kyrie coming to Brooklyn and then by them selling their souls to the devil, we saw that this tenure, the three and a half years with KD, Kyrie, bringing James Harden and now what to do with Ben Simmons, ha, that's a whole other set of encyclopedias. But we see that this has been the worst experiment known to mankind, not only in NBA history, but probably in sports history. But the front office and particularly the owner, I don't trust either. And maybe that's why I give some credence to what Kyrie has to say and who knows what Kevin Durant's going to say as far as the relationship with the front office and particularly the owner. Because anytime you get a guy who's a billionaire and has made his money in e-commerce, I'm sure he's a brilliant businessman. He wouldn't be where he is if he wasn't a businessman unlike very few here on this planet. Now, how he does it, how he conducts his business, as we know with billionaires, that's a whole other different story with taxes and things of that nature, which that's for another podcast somewhere else. But just because you run a great e-commerce business or that business or this business doesn't mean that you can run a professional basketball team with guys who have just as much power and have much more of a presence than you have when it comes to e-commerce. And just because you could throw all the money around and say, yeah, I know what to do. And I know how to control environments and people, etc. Well, how's this turn out for Josiah here over the last couple of years? Maybe he's just shut up, kick back, have Sean Marks do all the work. Jacques Vaughn, you look like you have a very good coach there. Hopefully you get these draft picks from years to come that are going to be top-notch and build your team that way. And hopefully he stays out of whatever... Not to say he's in the limelight, he's not Jerry Jones by any stretch, but you understand what I'm saying. And with Ben Simmons, I mean, the guy can't score. He's now your face of the franchise, could you imagine? And sadly, he's just a glorified role player at this point, making max money, a former number one overall pick. And what are you going to do, hang your hat on a guy that passes up dunks and layups underneath the basket? It's not about him, I'm not trying to pile on him, but... That's what you have here with this whole scenario. I mean, the soap opera, the circus, the carnival has finally gone from Brooklyn. And I'm sure it's a relief of that organization, the coach, the GM, etc. Now they can go about their business and try to build a team the right way and hopefully be respectable in the process. And I know you had a bunch of other trades that happened. The Lakers get D'Angelo Russell for some outside shooting that they need. Russell Westbrook goes to Utah. Ugh, how's that going to turn out? Ooh, that remains to be seen. And you had John Wall bought out. You have the Clippers bringing in Eric Gordon. And a lot of moving parts here, as we know, when it comes to the trade deadline. And it's a lot to get into and who has won and lost when it comes to the trade deadline. To really dissect that and get into that fully in depth right now. And I understand it's a sports show, people. I get it. But I think that the pieces that were moved here over the last few days, other than Durant, aren't anything that's earth-shattering or, wow, this team is now going to be a contender. It's not as if the Celtics got, come on, Mike Muscala. I'm supposed to get crazy about that. Or the Nuggets trying to bring some reinforcements or Memphis or even Sacramento for that matter. You didn't have those type of deals. And even the Lakers bringing in Mobamba, all right, you bring him in, but is that going to now change the fortunes of the Western Conference or the Lakers' chances of making the playoffs by bringing in Mobamba? No. 
So that's what I mean about going through all these trades and having to dissect every little nook and cranny about what this team did, that team did. Now, is this team going to be a contender? Is this team going to be able to now win a championship? Durant, of course. That's a big one. And I'll say this right now. If Durant is healthy, and that's a huge if, the Suns could go to a final. That doesn't mean that automatically going to a final. And I think with Durant there now this year, they may make some noise and they may have a run in them. But we all know, this stage of his career, you breathe on Kevin Durant, he may be out for two months. So I don't trust that trade, at least in the immediate future, as it paying dividends to them going and winning a title. But as far as, like I said, these other trades, there really isn't much to dissect or really get into. Because I'm not going to go crazy about some of these, you know, the Bucks getting Jay Crowder, who also went in that deal from the Suns to Brooklyn. Am I going to get crazy about Jay Crowder and the Bucks? I mean, of course not. And Serge Ibaka goes elsewhere. And all these different trades that were made. Are they going to change the outcome of the Eastern and Western Conference as we see it? Other than Durant? I think the Warriors trading James Wiseman says a lot. Guy's the number two pick overall. Big man. And now all of a sudden, he gets dealt to the Pistons. Maybe they fell out of favor with his work ethic or just him not being able to stay healthy. Who knows? But... Besides that, that's what you have there with the trade deadline as we can now look ahead to the All-Star break, which will be a week from today or a week from this weekend because the All-Star break will officially start. I believe it would start today because now we're on Friday. I'm still thinking in Thursday mode where you'll probably have a couple of TNT games and then go right into the All-Star break where the game is being played in Utah. And I'll get into more in the NBA on Monday after the Super Bowl as we take a look there, and the Bucks are playing well. They won nine in a row, and they're nipping on the Celtics' heels there in the East. And besides that, nothing really else to get into when it comes to the association. As far as the NHL, real quick, the Rangers made a big trade as they acquired Vladimir Tarasenko from the Blues. He's a guy who's a six-time 30-goal scorer in the league, won a cup in 2019. As the Rangers make a big trade, I wonder if this was, I don't want to say touche for what the Islanders did by bringing in Bo Horvat from Vancouver. And he's already scored two goals in his first two home games, including yesterday against his former team. Although in a loss where Anthony Beauvillier, the guy he was traded for, had the pretty much the deciding goal because Beauvillier's goal on a power play there in the third period made it 6-4 and the Islanders won 6-5. Or I should say the Canucks won 6-5. I still have Beauvillier on the Islanders. But Horvat and what he's done so far getting the big-time deal, as we talked about early in the week, and how that's already paying dividends. So now Tarasenko comes from St. Louis with a Stanley Cup ring on his finger to bring that leadership, more goal scoring, to go along with Chris Kider, Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, etc. I think that's a wise move, very good move. They only gave up a defensive prospect, a conditional first-rounder this year, and a possible fourth-round pick in 2024, as well as Sammy Blaze. Or Blaze, I don't even know how he pronounced his name. So I don't think the Rangers gave up too much to bring in Tarasenko. So I think that that's going to do wonders for a Ranger team that, I'm not going to say they've underachieved, but I thought they'd be a lot better than what they have been this year. And bring in Tarasenko, a guy that has cup pedigree and can put the puck in the net. And to me, this deal was made more so for the playoffs than it has been for the regular season. So we'll keep an eye on that. 
as far as some injuries go, and you got some big-time injuries in the sport, Kale McCarr is going to be out for a couple of games, was out last night in a Stanley Cup rematch, the first time that the Colorado Avalanche and Tampa Bay Lightning had played where the Lightning just blew the doors off of the Avalanche 5-0, and they're actually going to play the second game on Valentine's Day. So talk about the two Stanley Cup teams from last year, first time playing after, what is it, 50-some-odd games, and then now they're going to play twice in a five-day stretch. So McCarr is also going to be out against the Panthers tomorrow down in South Florida because he took a shot to the head from Jeff Carter in a game Tuesday night against Pittsburgh. Jack Hughes, now week-to-week with an upper body injury that he sustained, and he's having a big season, 35 goals, 67 points for the Devils. As we all know, the Devils have had a very good season. And then the Kraken will have their top scorer, Andre Burakovsky, out with a lower body injury. He actually left the game the other night against the Islanders, which looked like a knee injury. But of course, with the NHL, they don't want to diagnose the exact body part. So he's put on the IR for a week. And we'll have to see what's going to happen with Burakovsky as the Kraken, who have had a very big season to date, losing their big scorer for an extended period of time is certainly going to be costly. And let's see how that affects the Kraken team as they try to keep themselves on the top of the Pacific Division out west where the Golden Knights currently are in first place with Seattle in second. And I'll get into more of the NHL not only next week or I should say on Monday's podcast, but next week as we start to take the turn from the NFL season into the fall and winter sports and go full bore on that before pitchers and catchers, we start reporting next week. And rest assured, you know I got you covered here on the J Reels Podcast to bring you everything that's happening in the world of sports. With that being said, people, another podcast in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your participation. It does not get taken for granted by yours truly. If you haven't done so, as I mentioned at the very top, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out and increasing the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up with the question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so by email, thejreelspodcast at gmail.com, or hit me up on any of my socials on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, on my YouTube feed where I have plenty of shorts, a lot of quick videos talking about what's happening in the world of sports, YouTube at J Reels, on Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number, please hit me up, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals, and of course, subscribe on my YouTube channel, please follow me on all my social media feeds, I would greatly appreciate that, and if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth there, we'll go one hundred percent to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, anything and everything to make this experience into this microphone, into your earbuds or speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, as well as credible and informative. Because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing to put forth two podcasts a week, to get the word out that this is your source for all the sauce in the world of sports as I deliver it with passion, fire, fury, energy, my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. 
from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I'll be back here on Monday to recap it all. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.